This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on rosacea. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm Clinical Director at BMJ. Rosacea is a common disorder. Studies suggest a prevalence of 5% for women and 4% for men. And it can cause a range of problems, including telangiectasia and eye problems, and of course, papules and pustules. So it's important that we get the diagnosis and management of this condition right. To give us more details about the problem and what we can do about it, we have on the line Dr. Abel Jarrell, dermatologist at Northeast Dermatology Associates, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and also adjunct clinical professor at Dartmouth School of Medicine. And importantly, Abel is author of our BMJ Best Practice topic on rosacea. So Abel, you're welcome. Let's start off by asking, what exactly is this condition? Thank you so much for having me, Kieran. I appreciate it. Um, rosacea is an inflammatory condition of the skin that mostly affects the face, the nose, cheeks, forehead, and it can be quite debilitating. There's a highly variable spectrum of presentation from very mild disease to something that could be uh, quite uh, debilitating to the patient from, from an aesthetic standpoint. Okay, thank you. And I wonder, how do you make the diagnosis? The diagnosis is almost invariably made clinically by identifying particular features, which can be persistent facial redness, something that has affected the patient for more than several months, possibly years, maybe their lifetime, depending on on when they present to you. But it's something that most clinicians can make and identify just by noting the most uh, salient features, including persistent facial redness, papules, sometimes pustules, sometimes phimetous changes, and there can even be an ocular variant that, that affects the eyes that consists of some dryness and grittiness and, and redness. Generally, it's made on clinical grounds, but sometimes it requires a skin biopsy. Okay, thank you. And tell us a little bit more about these in, in detail. How would you tell a papule from a pustule or a, a bit more detail about how it can affect the eye also? Well, based on the different presentations, there is just redness, which can be telangiectasias. Telangiectasias are one of the hallmark features of rosacea, and they're generally extremely small blood vessels. Sometimes they can be very obvious, but a hallmark of the of the disease is persistent facial redness, which is uh, dilatation of facial blood vessels. And that can give you just a general, almost sheet-like redness, or there could be very prominent capillary telangiectasias, as I mentioned. Papules are anything defined as less than half a centimeter or less than a centimeter, essentially bumps, little raised palpable lesions in the skin. Uh, for rosacea, they're generally red mounds. So again, depending on the source that you read, it could be half a centimeter or it could be up to one centimeter is a papule. Anything greater than a centimeter is a nodule. Uh, pustules are filled with pus, which is a collection of neutrophils and neutrophilic debris, which creates a, a, 
a pustule or something also less than than a half a centimeter. They usually look more like like milia or comedos. Okay, thank you. That's that's really helpful. And I wonder, are any particular groups of patients at particular high risk? What are the the risk factors for this condition? It's generally thought that rosacea affects predominantly persons of Celtic origin. Um, so in the United States, it would be white people throughout the world. That's that's white people in Europe of, of Celtic origin, obviously. But anybody can be affected by this disease, including darker skin type people from from any type of the world. But predominantly, it's it's seen um, perhaps because it's easier to identify in in light skinned persons. Okay, thank you. And you mentioned skin biopsy, which might be necessary in in certain circumstances. I wonder what are those circumstances. Most of the time, a biopsy is unnecessary. Probably upwards of 95% of the time, a clinician can make the diagnosis of rosacea just on clinical grounds alone. A biopsy might be necessary when one is potentially confusing the diagnosis with other diagnoses on the differential, including seborrheic dermatitis or SCLE, cutaneous lupus erythematosus, or even a more robust form of rosacea, granulomatous rosacea, needs to be uh, accurately diagnosed, and this can only be done reliably with a with a biopsy of the skin, usually a punch biopsy, never a shave on the face for something like this. Okay, thank you. And, and I wonder, what are the pitfalls in diagnosis of this condition? Missing the diagnosis altogether and thinking it's something else and, and uh, inappropriately treating another condition that you mistakenly think is rosacea, that would be probably the, the, the major pitfall. Um, and then potentially another pitfall would be using a treatment that is not effective and you know, continuing to try to force that on the patient when, when it's not getting an appropriate result. Okay, thank you. That's really clear and helpful. And it leads us neatly on to treatment or management. What is the mainstay of management of this condition? Well, the most important thing, and I may have oversimplified it when I was talking about rosacea in general, but there are several different classifications um, that, that have been introduced over the last several decades. Two of the most important ones well, it's so about 20 years ago in 2002, a classification based on the four major subtypes, including telangiectatic, uh, papulopustular, phimatis, and ocular. And it's the one that I still reliably use, even though it's been replaced by something more recently in 2017. But I still like breaking down rosacea into those four major subtypes. It may not be that useful when doing clinical trials or thinking about rosacea at a higher level. But in terms of just simple management of taking care of patients, if you think about those four subtypes of telangiectatic, so they just have redness, blood vessels, highlighted blood vessels. In dealing with the, the redness or the telangiectatic rosacea, I think that the best treatments for this are light treatments like a pulsed dye laser, so laser therapy, or 
intense pulse light, which is not a laser. Some people often confuse it with laser, but intense pulse light. So I think light treatments give you a more durable and lasting treatment for background redness, capillaries that are too prominent, or tail indictasias. So that's a specific type of, of rosacea that does not include the bumps, the papules, the pustules that, that we discussed in the other subtypes. I often see patients who have been treated inappropriately with metronidazole cream or uh, other topicals that are ineffective for telangiectatic rosacea. Now, you can get temporary relief from brimonidine and uh, medications that are very short-lived, maybe 12 hours, that will, quote, take the redness out, but it comes right back. So you could put this these creams on in the morning um, and, and make the redness go away. They're essentially vasoconstrictors on the skin, and they'll make the redness improve. You have to be a little careful how you use these medications. They could create a, an effect of a mime mask if not used appropriately. But taking the redness out with bromonidine, or, or other topical medications that, that do the same thing is, is, a, is a way to temporarily affect it. But as I mentioned, I think light therapies are by far the most effective. And then when you get to the other form of rosacea, the papular pustular, I personally think that antibiotics and antiparasitics have the, the best role in, in treatment. To start, one can attempt using metronidazole cream, as I mentioned, for the, for the papules and the pustules, or uh, metronidazole gel. I actually really like oral antibiotics like doxycycline or minocycline for uh, persistent papular pustular rosacea. One thing that you have to really clarify with the patients is if you're lucky in a small subset of patients, you will be able to treat them for a short period, make them better, and, and they will be fine in, in the best case scenario uh, and, and be fine indefinitely. That's pretty unlikely. For somebody who has a bona fide diagnosis of papular pustular rosacea, unfortunately, in 2022, the best I can say is you're probably uh, at going to be taking these medications indefinitely if you want to keep your, your papules and pustules uh, under control. Now, one thing that I should have said early on is that in talking to patients about rosacea, it's critical that you spend some time talking to them about what's driving the rosacea. There are triggers, and you have to set expectations and tell patients that there's no cure for rosacea currently. Although I would argue if your rosacea is just the telangiectasias and, and the blood vessels, uh, using laser or light therapy could potentially, quote, cure your, that type of rosacea by, by getting it under, into a very manageable control if it's just background redness. But if you have the papules and pustules, you are probably going to have to treat it indefinitely and most importantly, identify the triggers, whether it's hot showers, spicy food. The list is, is, is quite lengthy in terms of things that can uh, exacerbate rosacea. Uh, unfortunately, some of the best things in life, exercising, hot showers, uh, snow skiing because of the you know, the cold wind can cause an ex a, just a market exacerbation of rosacea. You need to explain to patients that their triggers are what are driving the the rosacea, and 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 you know, with a balance of enjoying your life, you need to try to uh, to to minimize the effect of those triggers. 
Phimidus rosacea is a lot like the papulopustular rosacea where you get the phimidus changes, thickening of the skin. That can usually be treated with, uh, with, with uh, oral antibiotics or even topical antibiotics like, like metronidazole. Uh, and then ocular rosacea uh, can often be treated with drops or sometimes the uh, oral antibiotic doxycycline affects both the papulopustular rosacea and ocular rosacea. Okay, thank you. And what about things like sun protection? Is that something you would routinely advise your patients? In general, as a dermatologist, I always encourage sun protection for multiple reasons. Uh, photo protection is great to prevent aging, the, the effects of photo aging. But with regard to rosacea, it can be one of the triggers, but it's not necessarily a trigger for everybody. Uh, so as, as a specific therapeutic modality to, to help or prevent rosacea, it, it may or may not have a, uh, a role in, in affecting somebody's rosacea. It's not considered one of the, the major exacerbators of, of rosacea, but it can be for some people for sure. Okay, thank you. And tell us about topical alpha agonists, if you can. Well, I alluded to the topical alpha agonists a bit ago in that they do their work by vasoconstricting. And because redness is one of the hallmarks of uh, rosacea, you can get a temporarily improvement in the background redness by using the, the topical alpha agonist. And they're, they're quite effective. Uh, the only problem is they only work temporarily, upwards of maybe maybe 6 to 12 hours. Okay, thank you. And, uh, and isotretinone? For certain groups of patients, is that correct? Or I would consider isotretinoin in a patient who has flagrant uh, rosacea or rosacea fulminans, uh, but not for the most typical forms of rosacea. It would only be for those ones that are also accompanied by maybe even nodulocystic acne as a component of the rosacea. The nodulocystic acne may be exacerbating the rosacea, that could you know, potentially take care of two birds with one stone, so to speak. Okay, thank you. And I guess we should also mention that isotretinone, as, as we know, is teratogenic. So, so that's got to be a consideration as well. Um, last question on, on management. You may have addressed it already, but about pitfalls in management. You've, you've mentioned quite a few pitfalls already. I wonder, is there any else you'd like to bring out? I would just like to reiterate that probably the most important pitfalls in management would be failing to discuss that this is a chronic condition with no real cure and failing to discuss the component of triggers and how how important triggers are in keeping the disease alive and how sometimes just minimizing triggers alone can get the disease under control without the use of any therapeutics. Okay, thank you. And this is a last question, which is a question about questions. I wonder what other common questions do you get asked about this illness? What have we missed? Well, I think it warrants repeating that patients will constantly ask me, how am I going to cure this? How long is it going to last? And so, as I mentioned, setting expectations up front is critical. 
other questions are, why do I have this? And that's probably the most difficult uh, question to get because I don't really have a great answer for why somebody gets rosacea, why one person has it and, and another doesn't. A lot of it comes down to uh, genetic predisposition, as I mentioned early on in the podcast. Okay. Thank you very much, Abel, and, and thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and look at the content on this and other diseases. Thank you once again.